0: Amen. Thank you, praise team. We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a, there's a beauty to the Sermon on the Mount where these are the words of, of Jesus Christ uh, directly to these people, uh, directly to us. And so we get to hear what he declares, we get to hear what he warns against, we get to hear what he encourages And so today we're going to be talking about prayer. And if you'll remember, if you've been here a little bit, and if you haven't, this is why I'm saying this, Uh, he he addresses a few things in this portion of scripture, uh, in chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Uh, He talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And last week, uh, Boomer preached downtown, Ben preached uptown, and uh, they did a fabulous job unpacking... uh, the motivation to pray. So Jesus kind of gives us some warnings about um, false motivations or, or our less than best motivations to pray. And he kind of says, this is, this is why you pray. And then today we're going to discuss how to pray. And so I'm going to to kind of set the context. I'm going to read um, Matthew 6, chapter uh, verses 5 through 8 And this is what they preached on last week, and then we'll get into the Lord's Prayer today. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So when you pray, pray like this. And then he walks into the Lord's Prayer. And so in in summation of last week, uh, Ben summarized it really well. He said, uh, it is better to know God than to be noticed by others. And so our heart motive as we pray, the reason we pray, would be to know God and to recognize that He knows us, as opposed to many of the other things that could kind of be your motivation to pray. And this one specifically is is for the the notice of other people. Uh, So we get a few little warnings. He says, pray in secret. Don't babble. God knows what what you need. Um, And don't use meaningless repetitions. And so there's a few little warnings about, you know, what not to do in prayer. And then uh, today we're going to be discussing how to pray. And so when they ask, uh, well, right here Jesus asks, says, here's how you pray. And then later on in, in the Gospel of Luke, um, they ask him how to pray. And, and he uses these, the same template, these, these same words. It's kind of a guided outline, if you will. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going di- to, you know what, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to, our prayer, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer and you're going to do it with me. So stand up if you will, if you're able. And so we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to use trespass instead of debt. Uh, if you use something different, no problem. Okay, you ready? Here's a prayer Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The first service I stopped on, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Um, I'm used to saying that. Everyone else used to saying that? It's in certain manuscripts and in others it's not, uh, but it's in congruency with all of scripture. And so I think it's totally fine to, to include that. And that's what we used to say before baseball games and stuff like that. So, uh, these, are probably, these words have probably been spoken more in the history of mankind than any other words. You realize that? It's fascinating to me that that we can be a part of things like this, but it's also dangerous because we can say the Lord's Prayer and we can sit down and even though we just recited the, the very words of Jesus Christ when he says, here's how you are to approach God, we sit down and we're not that moved, right? Though we just recited the very words that Jesus said for us to pray. And that's okay. Don't feel bad or guilty. Uh, I think sometimes these repetitions, these things we do over and over and over, oftentimes we're so used to them, they kind of lose their meaning, right? And so now they just become words and we don't fully engage our heart. And so part of, I think, what Jesus has been doing in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us, encouraging us to fully engage every part of ourself when we approach God, whether it's giving or whether it's fasting or whether it's prayer. And many times I found it helpful that he teaches me how to fully engage my heart with a little bit of structure and a little bit of guided outline. And so before we dive into the structure and the guided outline, let me just say, uh, I don't think... What Christ is saying or what scripture is encouraging is that we approach prayer in a way that is highly structured dogmatic that if we do this right then then maybe God hears us or if I do this right uh, I have a claim on God or if I don't do this right then I I will not receive as much attention mercy grace from God I don't think that's the desire at all I think his desire is to to shape a little bit of Uh, our minds and our hearts that kind of grab the full our full being so when we when we approach God we do it with every part of ourselves and so from now on when you say the Lord's prayer um, we we use this word called liturgies and basically that's that's religious or spiritual practices that you do uh, over and over repetition and sometimes those can lose the meaning behind that right uh, but they're very, very beautiful if you recognize the intent and, and if you approach them in a way that is, um, I think, helpful. So we just got done doing some praise music and you got people up here who can do stuff on the piano and the guitar and oboe, bassoon, yep. <laughs> All kinds of things, instruments, and, but they didn't just wake up, maybe they had these talents, but they practiced those things, they, they honed and refined their skills And so it gets you better. And so liturgies, things that you you do over and over, prayers that you say over and over, sometimes in a group, sometimes individually, uh, those things can really help shape you. And so I'm a huge fan of these things because practice does something to you. And so as you engage in the rest of your religious life, uh, when you enter into a church, uh, some are more liturgical than others, or when you find yourself saying the Lord's Prayer recognize that you have to check your heart motive of why you're doing that and from what source you're doing that but also recognize that the more you do those things it really does change who you are and so we do this all through life and so liturgies are simply ways to do this in our spiritual life to refine ourselves more into the image of Jesus Christ and the Lord's Prayer is is probably one of the most infamous liturgies that we partake in. Uh, This week as we look through the the, the template or the, the guided outline that, that Jesus gives us, I've, I've found it very helpful for me to, to think through uh, the words of Jesus, but also I'm going to use some different prayer phrases with it to kind of avoid that, that uh, repetition. Uh, so we'll, we'll use our own own words throughout the sermon. And I really encourage you guys, uh, if you can this week, to, to walk through the Lord's Prayer and, and take each phrase and use it in your own words. So after you read this, or maybe you just recite this, and then say it a different way. And then recite the next line or read the next line and say it a different way. And, and hopefully today will be helpful in, in that endeavor. Uh, Boomer made a comment uh, in his sermon last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to Boomer and Ben's sermons, go online, it, it really helps set up to today's message as well and it was super encouraging for me. Uh, But he says this, prayer is a relational response to what Christ has done for me. Not just prayer, but obedience and, and action towards God, a relational response to what Christ has done for me. And so you recognize that I have a relationship with Almighty God because of Jesus Christ. And in standing in light of that relationship, I approach him in prayer. So keep that in mind. The most important part of prayer, Timothy Keller says, is not that we learn to express ourselves, but we learn to answer God. I was thinking, what does it mean to answer God? And, and here's what I, what I believe it, it may mean. As God is the initiator of love and as God is the initiator who who chose me and who pursued me and who um, started this relationship with me, I think think prayer is me answering that or put another way, uh, faith. So Romans 4, when it's talking about Abraham, it gives this definition of faith that I've really grown to love and I think fits hand in hand with this response to what God has done. Listen to this, it says, Abraham grew strong in his faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. So you recognize God has made promises and faith, according to Romans 4, is that we act like God keeps his word. So Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do and will do what he promises. And so you see where prayer is a response to what God has already done. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, he takes us to, to another level, not just responsiveness to what God has done, but he says when we don't respond to what God has done, uh, we stand in sin. And so he says this, 1 Samuel twelve twenty-three. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. He's speaking to the people of Israel says far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you there's many many times in in life where God impresses a situation or a person on your heart and the beauty is we have the opportunity to truly change things and to change circumstances with our prayer and so God says in those moments pray and so my guess is many of you are are used to uh, praying and sometimes a prayer looks like you know we're walking up here and i say father speak through me or you say father help me to not lose my cool with my kids or father please help me do well in this job interview or father give me guidance for this or father thank you for the good weather as i'm riding today all these little prayers that we throw up and i think those delight god we're continuing to acknowledge god in every part of our life and i think that's what it means in Uh, the book of Thessalonians when it says pray without ceasing anytime that our heart or specifically our mind isn't engaged in something right in front of us maybe I'm having a conversation and I need to listen and engage that but anytime it's not and my mind goes to space where does your heart where does your mind go I think this is the desire is to continue to cultivate my heart and my mind and my affections that in those moments it goes to God and so that's a form of prayer when we simply think on, are aware of, and acknowledge God. But we also have moments of prayer, hopefully, that are more more focused, that we have set a time apart, we have set maybe a space apart, that we have sanctified a portion of our day or portions of our day to pray. Was it Daniel who knelt three times a day and prayed? shut the door? And this was a set apart time. Now my guess is he prayed other points, but he wanted to cultivate a desire for God and to continue to align his self with God so he sets time apart. And my, my hope is uh, the Lord's Prayer, I think, can fit into one of those spaces in your life. Very specific, detailed moment where you go intentionally before God to pray. And so as we get into this, uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack each, each, each line, if you will, And see what what it could mean. So to start the Lord's Prayer, the first sentence, our Father in heaven. So I love the fact that, that Jesus, when he's introducing the idea of prayer, the first word is our. Our Father. That we are a part of something. And God is deeply personal and intimate in his pursuit for you. But he doesn't isolate. He has brought you into something glorious, his family. And I am always, I think, fascinated and taking more and more notice when I watch how moved emotionally people get when they recognize they belong to something. When a person knows that they belong somewhere or belong to something greater than themselves, it does something to the human soul. And so... Jesus, as soon as he introduces the idea of prayer, he says, our Father. Because I totally believe that we grow stronger in God together than individually. I believe I know God far more fully because of people than I ever could in my own pursuit. I look back at my life, I can't tell you how many people have invested in me teaching me the Bible or preaching me the Bible or explaining the Bible um, one way or another Uh, they've just poured their knowledge and their love of god to me and it is contagious and i feel like i know god more fully because of all those people this was um expressed in a in a beautiful way just weeks ago Uh, a church down in rapid took about 30 people on a missions trip and they went to la and then they were scheduled to go down to mexico and when they got near LA their van their their bus broke down and so they're at an in and out burger stuck there for a long time and the one of the young guys behind the counter was a christian and he and he goes to this small church of 70 people and so he says hang on a little bit they didn't they didn't have a choice their bus was broken down uh, but he calls his pastor and he says, Pastor, there's some missionaries from South Dakota here. They're going to be here for a few days. They're on their way to Mexico and they need help. Their bus broke down. And so the pastor rallies his body, uh, his, his church, and they take them in and they let them sleep in the church. And a bunch of the families make dinner and bring them uh, dinner. And they feed them breakfast the next day, they feed them lunch the next day. They do everything they can to make sure they have transportation to, to go on the rest of their journey. And so they totally um, show these missionaries what it looks like to be vessels of Jesus Christ. And one of the, my favorite part about this is there was a man in their congregation who was an ex inmate, and he had just received Christ two weeks earlier. And so this guy is, is brand new to the faith, he's brand new to church. And so the pastor, when he gets the call, he calls him and he says, John, get down here. Some people need our help. And so John goes down and he, he doesn't know the gig, right? He doesn't know the Christian churchy gig. And he just shows up and he starts serving. Uh, but he is blown away by watching the rest of his new brothers and sisters in Christ serve other brothers and sisters in Christ who they have no idea who they are. Never met, never made a connection. So this small church of 70 takes care of this group of 30. And John is floored by the love that he witnesses and that he is a part of. And he tells the pastor, he says, this is real. He he came to faith. But you know, we're all in a journey. And after he saw and felt and tasted love from people and after he was a part of that, he was more and more convinced this is real. So the first word Jesus says is our father. We belong to something great, a huge family of love. Next word is of utmost importance, father. Jesus introduces this idea that almighty God, Yahweh in the Old Testament, that they couldn't even write out all the letters because it was so holy because God was so holy, he was unapproachable in some ways, unless you did it very specifically according to his rules. And then he becomes of utmost approachability when he becomes a man in the form of baby Jesus. And now the inapproachable God becomes approachable. And we see that played out over and over and over, and then to the full extent. Uh, the best picture that I see is when the veil who separates the, in the temple, the Holy of Holies and everything else when Christ dies on the cross to offer us forgiveness of sins, what happens to the veil? It rips in two. It says, now the creator and the creature can be one in a way like never before. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ and asking him to forgive your sins makes you accessible for the Holy Spirit to come invade. And now when you pray, you can pray with boldness to God Almighty that says, Abba, Daddy, Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, your name be honored and holy. So when you approach God, I think the message is approach him with the confidence that a child approaches a wonderful father. Knowing that you will receive love and attention. The God of the universe delights in giving you his attention. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another way to say that may be, I accept the call to live for your kingdom above my own or the world's. Your kingdom come is recognizing that I want my heart's desire to be about edifying, glorifying, and building up your work and your kingdom above my own. So many times don't we go through our day and our life, and it's not necessarily with bad things, but it's mostly about my agenda. And then a lot of times I'll ask God to bless that, as opposed to the other way around. Jesus' words when he was 12, he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? I love that. I want to be about the father's business and in the Lord's prayer your kingdom come is a declaration that says that's my desire to align my heart with yours and to be about what you want me to be about your will be done I believe this is a beautiful expression of surrender saying I have all kinds of things clamoring my mind and I have things that I want to do and things that I think you want me to do but ultimately I surrender to your will. I think of Jesus in the garden when he says, let this cut pass before he goes to the cross. Let this cut pass, let this cut pass, but your will be done. It's a way of saying you are not only my savior, but you are my Lord and I will come underneath you. And brothers and sisters, I do not think you can say this with the fullness of your heart unless you truly know that he is your perfect father. To surrender to perfect love is a beautiful thing. To surrender to anything else, I think is dangerous. But if I know that God has the authority and the heart to love me, if I know that God has never mishandled my life, if I know that he is perfect in everything that he does, then I find the courage to say your will be done. And I know whether I understand it or not, whether I can see it or not, whether I can project a good end result or not, I know that it is best because he is perfect. And we can slide underneath that. Give us today our daily bread. I transfer my trust to you for all of my needs. All of my material needs, all of my relational needs, all of my emotional needs. I transfer my trust in the provision of that that will come from your hand. We don't always know what that looks like, but we know that God is the source of those things. Boomer prayed it earlier, that the, the orphans who receive our love and our gifts and our skill sets, the team that goes down from Uganda, that they would recognize that that is from the hand of of God himself another way to say this might be in our day Lord give me a job so that I'm not poor God meet my material needs and give me wealth but only give me as much wealth as I can handle without placing my ultimate source of trust and meaning in those things because you are my source of trust and meaning you see that It's totally okay to pray that God would provide your desires And provide the things that you feel like you need His will be done But I think it's very easy for us to start focusing more on the gift than the giver And the phrase that I've fallen more and more in love with Is if you keep first things first Second things become more beautiful If you get those two mixed around Second things cause destruction Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. In other words, I thank you for your forgiveness of my sins, Lord, that came through the cost of the death of Jesus Christ. I think this is the portion of the Lord's Prayer that focuses in on confession and repentance. That we recognize and acknowledge our need for saving. We recognize and acknowledge our need to be forgiven. That we are stained in sin and we are prone to selfishness. And that self dies with Christ on the cross. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's scary up front, but the Bible constantly talks about repentance brings life. Repentance brings time of refreshment. And so here Jesus is showing us in prayer that there ought to be a space in our prayer. To recognize and acknowledge our sin and to give great, great thanks to Christ for his sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins. And then in so receiving that, we express that to other people. My experience with forgiveness is many times I'll start a prayer to forgive somebody and I'll start working through the details of my mind to try to extend forgiveness and I'm just getting more and more upset because I'm focused on what they did wrong or offended me. And then I have to back up and think, wait a minute, I started this thing to express forgiveness and now I'm madder than I was. But the thing that continually moves me forward, the thing that continually gets me unstuck is going back to the cross and recognizing the extent to which Christ, perfect Christ, has forgiven me. And when I go to the cross, forgiveness flows. And so this is the space that Jesus says, this ought to be a part, a regular part, of your prayer life and do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from evil another way to say that may be I transfer my trust to you for my purity and for my protection as a father as my shepherd you not only provide for me but you protect me I don't think this is saying don't ever let temptation come to me The book of James says that God doesn't tempt anyone, but we are tempted by our own sins and our own selfish desires. But I think what it means is lead us not into temptation. I think the message is don't allow me or help me or give me the power by the Holy Spirit and by faith to not enter into that temptation. To not entertain it and participate in it where that becomes sin. And I think the thrust message of that line is deliver us from that evil. So once again we are asking God to deliver us from the things that will kill us. The things that will harm others. To deliver us from our selfish desires. We need his grace to do that. So this is a request that I believe God delights in. That he is waiting to respond to. God deliver us. Peter's walking on the water and he starts sinking and he says save me. Boom, Jesus is there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I think this is wrapping up this prayer with a declaration that all of this is for God, that all of this is for his glory and the fame of his name to expand his kingdom. One of the most personal moments in the Bible of this is when John the Baptist has followers and they're elevating him as as they should in a good way they're giving honor to him and he says what he says I must decrease and he must increase or our lives ought to be one where if people are impressed by you and the way that you live your life because Christ has expressed himself through you I hope the response is wait until you meet my king Because we know that anything good, any fruit, true fruit that comes from our life is from him and it's for him. And he happens to share these glorious rewards with us. There's a few things that I think we can pull out to to help us remember these things. Again, the Lord's Prayer, because it's so famous, oftentimes we can recite it. And if we begin to allow it to shape our prayers, I think our prayer life will grow and grow and grow. And my experience personally is praying in secret is one of the most powerful and pure ways that I can check my heart. Because there's many times when I'm kind of thinking, how's my walk? Uh, Immediately the metrics are, well, I've been going to church or maybe I went to Bible study or even did my homework in Bible study. Um... I read my devotions a few times this week. And all those things are very good and I hope we all do those regularly. But when I'm praying just alone with God, those things, that's when my theology turns into encounters with God. Those are the most intimate and powerful and life-changing moments of my life because I don't have an audience. It's just alone with me and God. And I think those are the times where a conversation that was begun by God in the context of that relationship, prayer is simply carrying on that conversation and allowing God to invade your life. If you want an encounter with God, start to pray in secret. One thing that has helped me figure this out, uh, that's way overstated, Uh, one thing that has helped in guiding prayer for me is the Lord's Prayer that as well as it, it is very similar to the idea of ACTS, the acronym, A-C-T-S, the first portion of that stands for adoration. That's where we stand and we say, God, I praise you for who you are. And the things, oftentimes I need the word for this, when God speaks to me and tells me who he is and then I just proclaim that back. This adoration, I praise you for who you are, I declare your perfection, I declare your holiness, you are the creator of creations. Anything that comes to your mind with your heart where you can just exalt the name of God. C stands for confession. These are the moments and the times where we ask the Holy Spirit to search a heart. If there's anything anti-God that's coming up in our life or any habits or patterns or thought processes that we need to confess to God. Are there things that I've done that I ought not to do? Are there things that I should be doing that I'm not? I'll tell you right now, every day of my life, I don't know if I've ever fully, purely exalted God as I ought. Because he's worthy of everything. And I'm not sure I ever bring all that to him. And I don't stand under condemnation there, but I forever, ever have a place to repent and say, God, continue to increase my affections for you. Because the reality is I think I love myself a little more most of the time. Adoration and confession. If you are my age, my generation, or younger, these are two things I think we really need to hone in on. Because I think we do an okay job as Christians giving thanks for certain things in our life. I think we do a really good job asking for things from God. But when I look at, at my friends and my generation and the younger and myself, I don't know if we do a real good job adoring God and I don't know if we do a real good job confessing moving on to T stands for Thanksgiving continuing to thank God for all that he's done in your life all that he's provided continuing to thank God for who he is continuing to thank God for the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit thanking God for the people and the gifts in your life that he provides Thanking God for little things, thanking God for big things. That's supplication. That's making requests. The things that you want, the things that you desire, the things that are on your heart that come to mind that you don't necessarily have to filter, but you can just say, God, I would love it if. And at the end of all those things, you recognize, but I trust you. But he says we can ask. He can says we can pour our hearts out before him he'll filter a lot of this a little habit that I've tried to get into is searching why I'm asking for what I'm asking this goes back to last week's message and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount the motivation behind it if I ask for a specific job why am I asking that if I ask to arrive safely or for my family to arrive safely when they're traveling why am I asking that some of it seems so obvious right but I think it's really really good to back up And recognize this is a way that God has helped me align my heart and my desires with his. So it's not just me checklist of all the different things I want. Say what's truly at the core of this request. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. Once again, prayer should be a relational response to what Christ has done for me I believe that prayer not only changes things in our world but ultimately maybe more it changes us that that in fact is the the furnace of transformation is your private prayer life and your corporate prayer life and so when we remember what Christ has done for us when we remember what Christ is doing, and we remember what Christ will do. One of the beautiful things that he has given us to specifically do that, like prayer, is communion. And so if the, the praise team can come back up, and if I could get some, some people some, to help pass out the elements. Uh, the praise team is going to play for us as we pass out, and then we'll take it together. But here's my understanding of communion. Scripture says that if you are a Christian... And by that I mean if you have recognized the extent of your sin. If you have understood that you need saving. That you need someone's life to count for yours because you've messed it up. Jesus says I will be that someone. And my death on the cross was for you and in your place. And so by placing faith in me, asking me to forgive your sins... Jesus will do it and he will cleanse you from that and he will gift you with the Holy Spirit and then you can say with absolute boldness, you are my father, where you are a child of God, where you have a place at this table. If you haven't done that and you're not sure about that, let the elements pass. Scripture says, don't don't partake. If you haven't done that, but you deeply desire that, then maybe today is the first day you take communion as a true child of God. That if this is your desire, to be forgiven of your sins and to be saved, to have a place in God's family, to be united with him, he says that is his desire as well. He stands at the door and knocks. It is not his will that anyone should die in their sin, but that all should come to repentance. So if you want to be a part of that family, simply right where you're at, you can ask God to forgive your sins through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says, come sit at my table forever. While these guys play, I want to encourage you to enter into prayer. And I think communion is a time where we truly do look back and we remember that me addressing God came at a cost. Me being able to call God Father and to have full confidence that he hears us Because one day he didn't hear Jesus when he cried out on the cross. And so this is to remember the sacrifice of his death and of his blood. But it's also to remember that we don't grieve Jesus' death because he conquered the grave in his resurrection. So it's also to remember that he is alive. That he reigns. That he is within us. And that he will come back. And so think on those things as you just get quiet with your God. And then I'll come back up and we'll take this together.